Good morning, Brockington Road Church of the Nazarene. Here we are again doing uh, some video feed for you. And uh, I always want to give credit to Jared Tompkins for setting all this up. And I uh, don't want to take him for granted. He is a valuable part of making this go. Um, wanted to let you know that if you've missed some of the sermons or you want to catch up on some, uh, we have all of those archived. And you can go to YouTube if you want and type in Brockington Road Church of the Nazarene. You can find our sermons that way. Or you can go through our webpage, uh, just click on sermons, it'll take you to those. But if you didn't look at the March 8th sermon, that might be a good one to go back and pick up on. One other quick announcement, um, if uh, you're wondering, how do I give my tithe? Uh, thanks for asking that question, that's a great question. Uh, you can mail a check in, you can come by during office hours of the church from nine to four each day, and uh, we can, you can run your credit card or uh, let somebody know on Sunday. Usually somebody's here on Sunday morning for about an hour to take tithe checks. So thank you for your faithfulness in giving God's tithe each week. We appreciate it. The church is still up and running. All of the staff are here each day. We're still working normal business hours and uh, doing a lot of stuff through the phone and uh, virtual reality, uh, stuff like this. Well, just want to get started here. This uh, is Palm Sunday, and uh, so I found this story. I thought you might find it interesting. One Palm Sunday, a little boy had a sore throat, and he had to stay home from church with a sitter. When the rest of the family came home, they were carrying palm branches, and the little boy asked what they were for, and his father told him that people held them over Jesus' head when he walked by. In a sad, disappointed voice, the little boy said, Wouldn't you know it? The one Sunday I miss, Jesus shows up. So uh, glad you're not missing this Sunday. When I was a, a young boy, I was a homebody. I liked to be with my family. I liked to hang out with my parents. Uh, I had friends over to my house. I just, I liked to be at home. And to go to places for long extended times would cause me great homesickness. And I remember uh, the church talked me into going to kids camp and I was probably in fourth or fifth grade went to a camp in Joplin, Missouri, and um, one of my friends was there, his name was Johnny, and um, we were staying there, and I started getting homesick on night number one. I put my head in my pillow, and I cried that first night. I didn't let anybody know, you know, I was a macho fifth grade boy or so. And um, I found out that my friend Johnny was gonna go home a night early. And somehow, I misunderstood, and I thought, since Johnny brought me to camp, his family would be taking me home a night early. And I was so excited. So all week, I kind of grasped onto that information that I was going to go home a night early. Well, uh, Johnny's parents came on that Wednesday night. And uh, Johnny got all the stuff together, his bags, and loaded up there. And I came out behind him with all of my bags and my sleeping bag. And Johnny's parents looked at me with this face of confusion saying, Noel, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going home with you guys. And they said, no, we're not taking you home. We're just taking Johnny home. You're staying here till the end of camp. And I smiled, gave my best smile to act like it didn't bother me. But I turned around and I walked back and I put my stuff in the room. And that night I cried one more time. <laughs> I was misguided. Somehow I thought I was going home with Johnny, but I wasn't. Sometimes that happens to us. We hear bits and pieces of information and we can become misguided. I want to share a story with you about some people that were misguided. And it happened to be on Palm Sunday, this misguided people, all the Jews, they were intoxicated with the thought that they were going to be out from under the Roman domination, that Jesus was going to ride in on this, they thought probably some kind of a steed, and take over and set up rule on earth as the Messiah and get out from underneath Roman domination. They were misguided. 
they were wrong. They were, uh, <laughs> they were sorely disappointed when they found out that Jesus wasn't this king to come on earth like they thought he would be. Another comment, the coronation of Jesus. Think about this. There were no formalities in this, in this Palm Sunday march. No jewelries, no dignitaries, no robes, no musicians. A humble coronation. It was very much like his birth in a stable. His coronation was riding on a donkey. His birth was attended by shepherds, the lowest people on the social ladder. His lowly coronation and rejection by the religious nobility probably turned heads. The scripture we're going to look at today is from Matthew chapter 21. If you've got your Bibles, Matthew 21 verses 1 through 11. I'm reading from the New International Version. Matthew 21 verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray together before we jump into the sermon. Father in heaven, we pray that your Holy Spirit would go to each heart, to each mind, to the ears that are listening to this message. And Lord, once again, I pray that you would multiply this message by the hundreds as people listen to this online. I pray, Father, that you would transform hearts and lives. I pray, Father, that this message would do its intended purpose. Father, I did my best to pray and ask you to help me put this message together, but I'm counting on your Holy Spirit to superintend this whole process and to apply this message to people's hearts as you see fit and help us, Lord, to see you for who you are. May we not be misguided about who you are, but Lord, today, show us the truth of who you are. Bless now as we go through this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, verse 1, after he had said these things, Jesus was going on ahead, ascending to Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem is up. Whatever direction you come, north, south, east, or west, Jerusalem is up. So they said, let's go up to Jerusalem. And he'd been in Jericho, which is down at the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea, remember, is, it's, it's below sea level. And so Jesus is going to make this 17-mile ascent, virtually straight up toward Jerusalem. And he's probably going to be worn out. So now this crowd around him is growing. Miracles are adding to the size of the crowd. And up the ascent he comes in the midst of this mass of expectant humanity. Hopeful, there's the word, hopeful that he will display messianic power and bring the glory of the kingdom promised to Israel in the Old Testament. But what's the truth? 
The truth is he's headed to the cross. They're misguided. Yes, he will come as king at another time, but this time he's coming as servant. So up to this point in his life, what did Jesus never allow the disciples to do or demons or people? Jesus never allowed people to start hailing him as king early on. He would actually say, shh, don't tell anyone about this miracle. He would silence the demons. He was always the Messiah, but this is the only time that he ever allowed open praise of him. One week before his crucifixion. Why? Why did he allow it this time? Well, because this is God's time. They said uh, in some commentators, uh, commentaries that I read, they talked about the fact that there may have been two million people present when Jesus is riding in here into Jerusalem. And they, they get that number by the amount of 200,000 sacrifices. About 20 years after Jesus' time on earth, they have record that there were 200,000 sacrifices given and about 10 people per sacrifice. That's how we get our number, 2 million people. Uh, one other side note that this is really a fulfillment of prophecy, and we're going to see that in just a moment. But Daniel chapter 9 talks about the 70 weeks in prophecy. And each week represents a, a block of years. And so there's 70 weeks total, seven years for each year. So you've got 490 years. And so the timing of Jesus coming into Jerusalem is right on God's timetable. In fact, that, that time when Jesus is coming in fulfills 69 of those blocks of seven years. So that means there's one block of time left. And we know when that is. That's the seven years of tribulation that's talked about in Revelation to, com to complete the 70 weeks talked about in Daniel chapter 9. So God's timing is always perfect. In fact, Galatians 4.4 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. So here, here we have verses 2 and 3. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. So how does Christ know these facts? How does Christ know what's up ahead? Is it omniscience or is it Jesus' preparation? Did Jesus talk to somebody in this village? Uh, maybe at another time as he passed through this village. We don't know the answer. Um, but Jesus knew. Jesus knew there, were, there was a cult and the foal of a colt right over the hill, and Jesus sends him ahead. What's interesting is Jesus, knowing all things, 500 years earlier from this story, this, Palm Sunday, this first Palm Sunday, 500 years earlier, listen to this prophecy from Zechariah. It's in 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king comes unto you. He is just and having salvation, here it is, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's Zechariah 9.9. How did Jesus fulfill all these prophecies? <laughs> because He is the Mashiach in Hebrew. It's Messiah in English. How much faith do you think it took for those disciples to walk ahead to go to a stable or a farm and see the donkey and the colt there, like Jesus said, and to go over and begin to untie that thing without maybe a machete or a knife coming, uh, being thrown at them. I mean, this was a man's livelihood. 
Uh, can you imagine today, it'd be like somebody having all of their tools in their garage stolen or out of the back of a truck, or maybe even a car to be stolen. Donkeys were a, a form of transportation. And so to go up and just grab somebody's donkey and their colt would be a lot of money. And so the disciples, faith-filled, go up and do what Jesus says to do, and they're untying this colt when the man says, Hey, what are you doing? And they just say, what? They say, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. And so let's look at that. The disciples went and did as they were instructed, and they brought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. In Luke's account, it says that they placed Jesus on the colt. The disciples were ready to pronounce Him king. They were ready to take up their places on the right and left of Jesus. They were misguided. Well, a very large crowd ensues here. Interesting about this donkey, you don't see this in Scripture. Kings don't ride into war on donkeys. They ride into battle on steeds or stallions. And so, we have this in uh, Samuel. He rides on a donkey coming in to anoint King David. David rides on a donkey. King Solomon rides on a donkey. When they're coronated, they came in as kings on mules or donkeys to, be to have their coronation. So Jesus, probably they're looking at him thinking, wait, Jesus, if you're our Messiah King coming in, you need to be on a horse. But no, he rides in on a donkey. Well, this little donkey was part of the great plan of redemption that God had for all of creation. When Jesus rode that little donkey into Jerusalem, he was fulfilling prophecy. All that had been spoken of the Messiah and how he would arrive came to life. What are they yelling? Hosanna! I mean, they're screaming out Hosanna. That's Hebrew. It means God saves. You transfer that to the New Testament. Very interesting. The idea is that Jesus is talking about space. Outer space? No. We're talking about space. That whenever you're talking about salvation in the New Testament, even into Revelation, the idea is that Jesus gives us space in His presence. And so they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. That's a, that's a messianic title, to the Son of Man. So in the crowd they were saying, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the coming king. And they thought this was it. This is the Old Testament promised kingdom come to fruition. But it wasn't. The king had to come to die first. And then Zechariah 12. Someday they'll look on him who they've pierced and they'll mourn for him as an only son. And then they'll be cleansed and then they'll come to the kingdom. But first he had to be pierced for their sins. I had a, uh, a Jewish friend in uh, Monette, Missouri. He was a Messianic Jew. The differentiation between an Orthodox Jew and a Messianic Jew is just... A Messianic Jew believes that Jesus, the Messiah, He was actually the Messiah and He died for our sins. An Orthodox Jew is still waiting for this military Messiah to come in. The Messiah that we as Christians are waiting for at the end times. So I was talking to this Messianic Jew and he said, you know, in the scripture readings we have to read each day. In the Old Testament reading, which is what they read, they have Genesis to Malachi. That is their Bible for the Orthodox Jew. But in Isaiah 53, every year when they read that, during Passover, they skip that whole passage in Isaiah 53 every year because it confounds every Jew. They can't understand that. It doesn't make sense. And so they don't even read it in their, daily re or their yearly reading. They skip that whole portion of Scripture because it's talking about a suffering Messiah. And that just does not compute to an Orthodox Jew. 
But Jesus is that one. He had to be first to be first to be pierced for their sins. And then verse 10, we're moving here toward the close. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Think about that question for just a second. He's been with them three and a half years. He's in his last week of ministry. People have been saying who he is. They've been following him. He's just raised Lazarus from the dead a few days before this. The crowd is just this massive throng of people around him. And people are still saying, who is this? They're all following him. Who is this? Verse 11, the crowds answered. Look at their answer. Misguided. Look what they say. The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The prophet. Some say he was Messiah, some saying prophet, some saying just a good teacher. But those in the crowd, the crowds were answering, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I remember uh, when I was growing up, I worked for my dad on the farm as a farm hand, and he would, um, he would let me live in the house and eat for working for him, and I always was thankful for that. But my dad also had a hired hand, and his name was Russell, and he was an agnostic at best. Um, I think he believed in God, but, but a, 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 at least a strong agnostic. And I remember I was riding with him in the pickup truck, and I said to him one day, I said, Russell, who do you, who do you think Jesus is? He said, oh, Noel. He's probably in his 70s when he told me this. He said, oh, Noel. He said, uh, Jesus was just a man that, 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 that all the people just kind of made into a God. He, he, he's, he's nobody else. He's just a man like you and me. And I said, oh, Russell, I, I beg to differ. He... Jesus is God in the flesh. He says, oh, where'd you get that information? I said, well, in the Bible. And then I said, where'd you get your information? He said, well, you know, just common sense. Everybody knows that. <laughs> I didn't like his answer, and he probably didn't like mine either. But there are many people out there that think Jesus is just a good man. And somehow he was inflated into this God man down through the centuries. But I want to tell you that this Jesus that we're talking about is not just a prophet. He is a prophet, but he's more than a prophet. He is the Messiah, the anointed, the chosen one of God. They were saying, your king's coming. The Pharisees were saying, your king's coming. And what's he on? A donkey. <laughs> he's riding a donkey. Hey, there's your king, disciples. There's your king riding in on a donkey. I want to tell you something, church. The next time Jesus comes, he's not going to be riding on a donkey. Revelation 19, 11 says, John said, I saw heaven open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. This is some scary stuff. Listen to this next sentence. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. In staff meeting this last week, we had a long discussion about is there still wrath of God? Is the wrath of God to come? And we all agreed, yes, there is a wrath coming, but not for those who are in Christ. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you are not in Christ Jesus, the wrath of God abides on you. Christ appeased the wrath of God for us, but if we reject God's sacrifice for us, Jesus the Messiah... We have nothing but the naked wrath of God. When I say naked wrath, there's nothing to mitigate the pain or the judgment that comes. Nothing to soften it. It's just the fury and wrath 
pure wrath of God coming. And so Jesus is coming. He'll come again on a white horse. It won't be a donkey, but it'll be a white horse to judge the nations. So who is Jesus to you? Is he just a nice man? Is he a prophet? Don't be misguided about Jesus. You must get this right. Palm Sunday was not Jesus' real coronation as king. It's coming. Philippians 2, this is one of the readings from the, the lectionary. The last scripture I'll give you. Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the suffering servant portion. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians 2. Don't miss this king. That therefore swings the whole passage. Suffering servant, he completed his mission on earth. Therefore, he ascends to heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and he makes intercession for us. But at the Father's command, the Father's fixed time, we don't know when that is. Many people have tried to prophesy and predict when that will be. No one knows, no man knows when Christ will return. But at one of these days, Christ at the Father's command will return to this earth to judge the living and the dead. The question is, are you ready? Palm Sunday, one week until Easter. What a, what a great time in this week, this holy week, Passion Week as it's called, to prepare your heart for the resurrection on Easter Sunday. I like to close every sermon. If you're not used to listening to messages online, um, I usually try to close with something like this, that if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I, I, I beseech you, I implore you, I beg you to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Don't be misguided. Don't miss who Jesus is. He is our soon coming King and he will come back to gather up all of those who love him that they might be with him forever and with him in, in, in heaven. So my, my question for you is, is Jesus your king? If he's not, make that preparation now. Make your heart ready for him now and allow him into your heart. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for another opportunity to open your word and to explore the truths that are found here about the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Father, I, I pray that uh, everyone who hears this message would again be so enthused and encouraged in their heart. Lord, maybe there are some that are teetering in their faith that are listening to this. Maybe they've had some deep sin this week and they're struggling. They're just, they're just about to give up. Father, would you encourage them through this message? that you come after all of us who love you. And so, Father, I, I pray that, that, that all of us would draw close to you today. And Lord, in this next week, as we head toward Easter, prepare our hearts. Make us ready to celebrate like no other. <laughs> May we celebrate as Christians, as children of God, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. And we pray all of these things in the strong and matchless name of Jesus, our King. Amen. God bless you.